Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark. Once again, joined by our panel of Wheel of Time newbies. Say hello, panel. Hey. Hello. Hello. Joining us today, it's Greg. Hello. Uh, Axel's with us. Good evening. There's David. Coffee black. I see Siobhan joining us. Hey, everybody. And Samaria. Hey, y'all. Uh, DW unable to join us this week, but uh, hopefully he'll be with us again next week. Um, and I think we're just gonna uh, get right into this episode because we've got a whole lot to cover with this episode. Uh, that's episode four, The Dragon Reborn, written by Dave Hill, directed by Wayne Yip, who also uh, directed episode three that we watched last week. Let's just uh, get right in there. And uh, our first scene takes place in Gaelden, as they're pronouncing it in the series. Uh, we start out with Loghain, the uh, gentleman that we saw in the cage at the end of the last episode. He's uh, walking through the castle, destroying some guards, and he uh, corners the king of Gaelden up on a high parapet. King says, uh, you're mad. You're going to destroy the world if you think you're the dragon reborn. Loghain says the dragon is as likely to save as he is to destroy. And at that moment, we see some uh, shadows talking to Loghain in his ear at that moment. Uh, what are we thinking? Oh, that was incredible. I loved it. That was, that was so great. It was a great personification of the voices in the head. You know, you literally have an angel or a devil on your shoulder. So what really stood out to me uh, right away was when we were seeing his magic is that he, his magic was black with white streaks. And so... Black male magic makes sense, but then the white streaks, is that a sign of the corruption? Is that, like, what, what, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> uh, Siobhan, you have something. So there was, there was two things that stuck out to me about that entire interaction. One was um, the fact that the voices were telling him to kill the king. And he very obviously made the choice to go against what the voices wanted him to do, which kind of reinforces that idea that the mind is in control of the magic. Um, and then the second piece was that he's saying uh, everybody expects the dragon re to break the world again. But what I need to do is to bind it, not save, but bind. So I he's talking about. Yeah control perhaps like people there won't be wars if everybody follows me oh that i see what you're saying that's a great take on the on what he was saying there yeah and i, I noticed the the blackness of the magic as well and it almost seemed like when he was able to overcome the corruption his strands seemed to get more white like if he would reach out the white was always at the end and when he overcame it and did something contrary to what the voices were saying, they got a little bit more white than they were before. Um, and the other Ooh. thing that I noticed was that his personification, his look was very Christian, very Christ-like. Uh, yes, very much so. And uh, Middle Eastern as well. So it's almost like they're kind of pointing that direction of this is our version of the Savior, maybe. Yeah, my girlfriend pointed that out. She uh, mentioned, oh, gosh, he looks like Jesus, which, you know, I laughed off, but I maybe she was on to something. I think she was. Um, and what really stuck out to me about his power, his magic, um, was that it seemed not to be integrated, like, completely. Like, there's the madness, which is a bit of a mind fuck, But the fact that he can talk to it and... 
kind of decide whether or not what he's going what he's going to do with it versus what we've seen with the woman where they can just take it and give back to it and use it with each other um it's like what exactly how exactly is this corruption like manifesting and so i've been assuming you know it just drives them crazy but clearly that is not necessarily the case and so like is it a corruption because he's not exactly one with it he can use it or not um or is it or is it something else so i just wanted to just yeah so with the the people uh if we remember back in episode one when we see um another male wizard running away he's also got a manifested person with him like a human embodiment of the corruption Mm -hmm. saying we need to run this way that's true but it it was it was in a full human form not like the 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 shades the strandy form that you see in this one yeah is that difference in appearance something that is just like is that an individual level is that a, a a result of time so I think uh, this is the point where I'm going to give you guys a little bit of the background lore involving uh, men and women and how they approach the power differently. Yay, story time. Um, yes, yay, story time. Uh, so the one power which drives the turning of the wheel is divided into two halves known as Sidene and Sidar. These are the male half and the female. Um, and if you look at in the yin-yang style symbol, you know, you've got the bulbous end and the tail end, as it were. And if you think about that with the bulbous ends as kind of driving forward and it's constantly spinning against itself, that's what's causing the wheel itself to spin, if that makes sense. Mm. So uh, how the, the powers themselves manifest differently. Um, we've seen women, they've, they've explained that in order for women to control the power, they have to give into it. They have to allow themselves to be the twig floating down the stream. Uh, they have to just be the rosebud opening to, to the sun that they feel on their face um, and just give into it, and that's how they, they gain control of it. Men, it is entirely different. Men have to wrestle it and fight it and control every second of it, and if they let up for even a moment, they risk getting swept away. Um, and then the corruption itself, the way that they always refer to it in the book is it's like an oil slick on top of a pond of clean water. No matter what you do to get some of that clean water out, you're going to reach through that oil slick to get there and you cannot get that oil slick off. Mm. And so that's kind of where the corruption comes in. Um, as far as, as the, the ways that the madness is, is seen um in the books uh, everybody's madness takes a different form um i don't know if they're doing that with the show or not it seems that way because the guy in the first scene uh we saw had a, a fully formed human uh imaginary friend there with him Logan has some smoky imaginary friends uh you know who knows if they all have imaginary friends or have different things you know so uh, the madness can take as, as as many forms as madness can take. So, with that information, does that uh, help clarify any any questions that you guys have? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good way to represent the way that it manifests itself with different people. Um, and l- like we were saying earlier, having that little bit of, I I guess, sort of the free will, uh, 
having that available to you uh, or, or to the, the magic user, you know, that shows that there is, that, that there's potential for the, the user's mind to manifest the madness in any way necessary, not just having a little bit of control over whether or not to actually use it, but also how it shows up in your brain. Good thoughts all around. Um, so uh, getting back to our, our recap, uh, we're at the opening credits now. Anybody notice anything new in the opening credits you want to address or, or do we want to move on? Oh, Javon, what do you got? So for the very, this is the very first time I've actually noticed that this, the very opening um, scene when the credits start is the thread pulling apart and it's black on one side and white on the other. Ooh. And I've never caught that before. Uh, you know, this, that I've not caught that myself, so that that's new to me as well. That was a in, that's very interesting. Oh, I very gotta go watch that. Yeah, I'll be right back. Uh, oh, oh, I'm gonna have to go watch the episode for the fifth or sixth time. <laughs> uh, okay, so moving on, our first scene: we're in the uh, Aes Sedai camp where uh, where Moraine and Lan and Nynaeve ended up at the end of last episode. Um, we get a, a good establishing shot. Where we uh, see several Aes Sedai and their warders walking through uh, the camp, and the the shot ends on our Mean Girls Club with Leandrin at the front. Uh, anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah, the the, the red uh, definitely seems to be a bunch of heathers. That's that's for sure. <laughs> the heather aja, as it were. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so continuing through the scene, uh, we end up in Karina. Uh, uh, Karina. Karina, how, how did they say it? Karina. Karina. Yeah, uh, yeah I've, I have always said that name completely different in me in my head, so this was going to be another hard one for me to get used to, but uh, Karina uh, heals Moraine uh, in her tent, um, and they discuss that she's a little too tired from healing Moraine, and she really shouldn't be that tired, and Karina says, oh, well, that's because I've been over here keeping a shield on Loghain, and that's been taking all of my power. You have no idea how powerful this guy is. Uh, so we jump over to the cave where they are keeping Loghain in, in the cage. Um, they talk about uh, how they captured him down, down in uh, uh, Gaelden. Um, they talk about uh, uh, the wards that they placed around camp in case that uh, his followers come to try to find him. Um, and uh, Maureen says, well, you know, you've only got uh, three of you strong enough to, to keep him in check, and it takes two of you at a time, so let me tag in here, because I'm also strong enough. So she tags in to let Leandrin uh, take, a, take a break, and uh, Leandrin says, you know, that, that's Moraine for you, selfless to a fault in, in only the way that, me, that Leandrin can. And, uh, and then Moraine takes, takes over the shield, and you see, see her kind of physically go, oof, as Leandrin takes takes her shield off, as she she fully takes that weight of of Loghain's ability for the first time. Uh, what are we thinking during this scene? Boy, that web was really cool that they're weaving. Yeah, yeah that, that that special effect of that 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 encasing. So Almost good. like a Faraday cage for magic was what I yeah, thought that, out that, of it. That's, yeah, that's kind of how I read that also. I was wondering how they were going to visually show shielding somebody from the true source in, in the show. And I think that what they came up with was really... Yeah, having the, 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 the black tendrils or the black fibers inside just 
bumping up against and trying to get out, uh, that, that really shows that he's missing that connection to the source. We also got a really neat uh, look into kind of the politics of the Aes Sedai, and we now know that there's kind of a, a leader uh, or a president called the Amerlin Seat, and that everybody kind of answers to that power underneath them. And this is when I started, like, teasing out the differences between the different Sedai sects um, and, you know, how they interact with each other, what, you know, might be, you know, their creed internally, um, how they, you know, the each sect feels about the seat. Um, I thought that was just, you know, really could, like, teaser a bit of a taste you know, before what we see later on in the episode. So, uh, so what are we thinking about these sects so far? These, these Ajahs, as we find out that they're called. I have some theories. <laughs> so, um, the red, uh, obviously are the cops. <laughs> um, all right. And it's nice to see that the, that the series is showing a cab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Landrian is Landrian is definitely a cat, a cop. Um, you know, we don't need no stinking trial. Um, yeah, <laughs> and they appear to always travel in packs. So I didn't see any warders with them. And we actually went back to the very first episode and rewatched the scene where they're chasing down the male magic user. Ooh, and I didn't right. see any men riding with them. It's just right. a gang of women in red. Interesting. No warders. So the um, yeah, no orders yeah, because, because were... like I said, they always travel in a pack, so they don't need, and they're, and they're, um, always dealing with either individual men or other Aes Sedai. Huh. Good catch. I didn't, yeah, I didn't notice that, but you were absolutely right. Yeah. yeah and it also kind of mentions that the greens are the warrior sect, that they're the ones that are there to fight battles. They get not extra. Well, it, they're there to fight the battle at the end, like the yes. big battle at the end of the world. But it's clear that they end up fighting all of the battles for the Aes Sedai in this The, the soldier cast, yes. To practice for the battle at the end of the world, you have to fight other battles. Sure, and they're, they're issued extra, uh, extra warders as a result so that they have yes. more protection during battle. And their magic is used very different as we see kind of at the yeah. end of the episode. Yeah, they have they have two warders each, and then Moraine is more of a spy, um, and Thinkers. they have one warder each. And there's even a little joke between um, what was the the green Aja uh, Elena Al Alana Alana. There's even a little joke where she says she couldn't be a blue because only one warder that would be no good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 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 they've got some. Uh... Some, some, not just practice between battles, but a little bit of fun, looks like. Yeah. So I think I can give you guys a little bit of background on, on the Ajahs at this point. Um, in the trivia on, on Amazon, they've included information about the Ajahs. So I don't think they're trying to keep it under wraps at, at, at this point. Um, so you've got seven Ajahs within the White Tower. These are, are kind of just subgroups that, that all of the Aes Sedai uh, end up in. Uh, think, it of, think of it like uh, individual colleges within a university or something like that. Um, so the seven Ajahs, uh, we've already seen red, 
yellow, blue, and green. We've also got white, gray, and brown. Um, you've sussed out so far pretty much uh, red. They, they, they track down male channelers and take care of them. They also do a little bit of uh, internal affairs within the tower, as it were. And uh, you've also sussed out the fact that uh, reds very much do not use warders. Um, they just, it's, it's not a hard rule. It's just a, a thing that no red has taken a warder in, in centuries at this point. Um, you, you also sussed out that green is the battle Aja, um, and they take multiple warders. So they can, they can take more than two. Some, some green sisters have three or four warders. Um, and as you can see later in the episode, they need them. They, they put them to use. Um, the blue Aja, as, as was stated earlier, they're kind of, kind of spies. Uh, yeah, the blues, their stated purpose is, uh, causes, um, they're, they're kind of the social justice warriors or the MI6 or, or, you know, take what you want from them there. Um, and then, uh, the, the yellow, which we've already seen, uh, on, on the barbecue earlier, uh, the yellows are known for healing. They, they really look into ways to use, uh, the one power in, in medical ways. Um, then we've got the whites. The whites are known for logic. Um, that's it, it, it's just stated as logic. So apparently they're all Vulcan. Um, <laughs> the browns are are the kind of the librarians and the researchers. Uh, um, they they kind of get the absent-minded professor stereotype a little bit in the browns. And the greys are mediators. Um, if, if there is a, a major something going on between kingdoms, they will send greys there to, to be the mediators, and most people will listen to them because they are Aes Sedai mediators. Um, at the head of the Aes Sedai, we've got the Amarlin Seat, who is the one in charge who gets there by, by uh, uh, vote, very much similar to, to the Pope, as it were. Um, the Amarlin Seat has a second-in-command, uh, known as the Keeper of the Chronicles. Um, they are usually both raised from the same Aja, so kind of like the President and Vice President, as it were. Um, and there is a Hall of the Tower, which has representative, three representatives from each of the Ajas, who are called sitters, and you could think of that kind of like a, a Senate, as it were. And that's kind of the, the, the makeup of the Aes Sedai. So does that help clear up any uh, any things you were wondering about those Aes Sedai so far? It does, and now I'm thinking of the title sequence differently. Yeah, it raises a question from the title sequence, right? Because towards the end, it shows six women in a circle. Um, red, green, blue, white, gold. What looks like, and what looks like another blue. Like a light blue. Yeah, yeah. I think the I think the light blue is supposed to be the gray. Right. So that leaves out brown. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, one could say that maybe the 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 tapestry is still in 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 the the process of being made at the end of that credit sequence. So you know, we're we're watching it being made. It's not finished yet. But it's weird to have us like to to you build a circle and then you need to stick another spoke into it hmm. maybe they've decided to simplify this for the tv series and just have six maybe maybe mm -hmm. i guess we we might find out the fact that yellow are the healers makes the fact that the questioner was burning 
yellow sedai even more horrifying. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's apparently no such thing as G- the Geneva Convention in that universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no Geneva, so they can't really have a convention about it. Yeah, you have a point. Yeah, it's probably the easiest one to capture. I imagine they don't have a lot of uh, practical experience in pr- defending themselves or answering questions out in the field. They're just kind of there to be the healer. And they are intentionally in, they're intentionally in dangerous positions because they're healers. Right. Yeah. Uh, so continuing on with our, our recap here, uh, we go back outside at the Aes Sedai camp and uh, we see Lan and another warder, Steppen, out there uh, practicing, uh, going through some some warder training techniques and discussing a little bit of just White Tower gossip. Um, Steppen says the, that the Elmerlin Seed is unhappy and is threatened to have Moraine and Lan fetched back to the tower. Um, what are we thinking here? Samaria, I think it was you who said that you thought that Moraine was the odd one out. I still think that. Yeah, Um, I think I think you've got a lot of evidence to to prove your theory. She's a little weird. I like her, but she's a little weird. A lot awkward. (laughs) It seems like she might be in trouble with the principal here. So, well, we see later in the episode when she goes to confront Loghain that she doesn't like immediately try to attack him. She tries to talk to him to you know, figure him out. So I think that that kind of goes against the grain of what the Aes Sedai are trying to do and accomplish here. And that shows her character. Yeah. Yeah. She's going a little rogue by being a little, you know, by having a little outreach. I see why they call her a spy though. Like why, um, she, you know, is kind of looked down upon at least by, you know, the reds or, I don't know if that's Moraine specifically or if it's, you know, blue, but, you know, the reds were like, oh, they're spies. You know, they're definitely not thought of highly, weaselly, maybe just not inherently trustworthy as the other, you know, the other sex. Um, It'll also be because they're competition. Maybe. Right. They're the other ones that go out in the world and do shit. And also, because they're the sneaky ones, they're the ones that are likely to notice if the Reds are getting up to shenanigans. Uh, yeah, and Moraine uses uh, specifically the word subtle. And I, I don't get the impression that any of the other Aes Sedai handle subtle very well. And again, if we go back to the intro, after we had seen um, Linane, What's her name? Leandrin? <laughs> well, yeah, after we'd seen Leandrin do the gentling on... The dude, it cuts to Moraine watching from the top of a cliff, you know, making a decision. Now that wasn't uh, the dragon reborn. And it's pretty obvious that the Reds didn't know she was up there. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was kind of following them around and, and keeping an eye from a distance. Yeah. Which is exactly the kind of thing that pit, that cops don't like. <laughs> <laughs> So back to our recap, uh, we've got uh, Steppen and Lan, and Steppen asks Lan about Nynaeve for a second and says, you know, hey, where, where'd she come from? Uh, you know, and Lan says, you know, she's just a stubborn mule following us. Uh, and Lan gooses Steppen when he's looking the other way. I, I really liked that little uh, interaction between Lan and Steppen. I knew I was going to like this character. I mentioned it in the first episode. And <laughs> I love him. Steppen, yeah, yeah, he's great so far. Uh, so we get back to uh, uh, Corinna's tent, um, where she and Steppen are 
talking about information that they gleaned from uh, talking with Lan and Moiraine. Um, they cover a little bit more White Tower politics. Uh, Karina says that uh, Leandrin might be gentling men without a trial, according to the rumors that she's hearing, which is very much not how they're supposed to handle that. They're supposed to take them back to the tower and put them under a, an official trial. When she confronts her about it later, you know, yeah. says that you're not the one you're supposed to be reminding of us of this. And we don't do the thing that's most expedient. We do the thing that's right. Right. Which really lays out kind of, I think, uh, both of their characters in, in a, a one simple conversation. And of course, we know that she is leading groups of Reds around gentling people without taking them back for trial. Right. Right. We and so now the opening scene of the season. Yeah, exactly. So now, so we're getting, we know more than the order about this problem in their midst. Yeah. And it, it's kind of telling that Moraine doesn't tell her that, you know, tell Corrine that, yeah, I've witnessed it. I've seen it happen. They do that. It, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of playing it close to the best and, wanting to see where where else everything leads. Yeah, I um I saw it as a clue. Like we have so many instances where people just do not trust the I said I. Like they're seen as dangerous, they're seen as troublesome, they're just people do not want anything to do with them. They're told they're you know, they're told to keep away. Um and, you know, I've been wondering this, these last few episodes, why? Like, what exactly is the beef um, that, you know, it transcends just, you know, your individual qualms with the Sedai and it goes to, like, it's a universal across different cultures and societies. And Systemic. if there's, you know, a trend of I Sedai walking around, running around, you know, this world and gentling people um, without, you know, yielding to their own internal processes, then, yeah, that, you know, that would raise flags, you know, a lot of flags, especially if, you know, it's, it's generational. It keeps happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, you've got something. So, yeah, so I think it, it makes sense for Moraine not to bring that up at that time, because they have this incredibly powerful male wizard to control. And if they have an argument, that's exactly the kind of thing that could weaken the control and then boom. So I kind of feel like she's going to keep quiet about that until they get back to HQ. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. So there was one, uh, one little in uh, the uh, thing between these two that I really enjoyed, which was uh, Karina said, you worry more than you used to, to which Stepan replies, I sleep less. So I have the time. <laughs> which kind of plays into what I was uh, saying in the last episode about that warder bond and, and what the warders get from that bond. Um, so moving on on our timeline, we're uh, with the uh, Tuathawan again. Uh, we've got Perrin and Egwene. Uh, Perrin doesn't trust the Tuathawan, and Egwene says, uh, if either of us says go, we go. So she's showing Perrin that she's with him no matter what. Two rivers strong right there. He mentions he didn't sleep as as well, so I imagine that he was kind of on guard all night to protect her. Right, and also the dreams. You know, he, he's not the only one. Yeah, they're, they're all they all seem to be having these dreams where this dark figure with the 
burning eyes seems to show up and mess things up for him. So they have a conversation with uh, with Aram, uh, who says, we're headed east if you want to follow. Um, Perrin says, well, how do you know we aren't bandits? And Aaron says, well, you could be bandits, but if you are, you're pretty shit at it. So <laughs> That's a great line. I kind of figured the lack of weapons and armor was the really big clue that they're unlikely to be. Yeah, yeah. I don't think bandits are going to be walking up with absolutely nothing in their hands. Yeah. Um, so Egwene gives him a little bit of a backstory about being from Whitebridge, and they, they were crossing the, the, the Caroline Plain, and uh, yeah, this, Aram not buying it. They're not fooling anyone kind of, with that story. And what do they know about Whitebridge anyway? That's like... From the east, exactly. they don't know anything. They just heard <laughs> Moraine saying it, so they're like regurgitating it without any knowledge. Yeah, they're they're not fooling anybody at this point. Uh, so then we uh, jump over to Rand, Matt, and Tom. Uh, they're traveling through the woods, uh, and Rand stops with Matt and says, uh, "So what's up with this guy, Tom? He uh, he stole our money, and now he's helping us escape. Uh, Tom's a little bit suspect. What what do you think here, uh, David?" Yeah, he says that maybe there's hope for you after all, after uh, Matt or after uh, Rand kind of questions. And I think I felt like that was Matt playing off the fact that he just barely realized, oh, crap, I don't know anything about this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Matt says, hey, he he saved our lives. And Rand is like, well, what if he just did that to gain our trust? Like, you know, some kind of dark friend might do. And Matt's like, oh, well, actually, you have a good point there. crap maybe he did do that yeah so there was a lot there they didn't do the uh the 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 dickishness swap that they have been doing the past couple of episodes (laughs) between (laughs) ren and matt they're both kind of uh just going along but matt seems to have a better idea of what's going on than ren does yeah so, and then Matt points out something interesting. Uh, he said that uh, Dana said uh, the dragon was one of the five of us, but only four of us left Emmons Field. Or, ex- excuse me, only four of us left the two rivers. Uh, who is number five? So, who do we think number five is? Oh, the, the, the show has definitely been pointing toward, uh, toward, toward Nynaeve being the, being the fifth. And we'll get a little bit of a clue of that one a little bit later. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say so. I thought it was very obvious. Oh, it's definitely Nynaeve. Um, she's the fifth. She's been following them. Um, I don't know if they know this yet, but I, I figured it out. And, and, and I think this might be the show trying to, you know, gently nudge you towards the idea that maybe this Loghain guy really is the Dragon Reborn. You know, there's a fifth that we don't know. So what up? The scene immediately cuts to him. Yeah. yeah. So the, the other major option, I gather, is Bella. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like Bella is in the the entire TV, like in, in the entire book series, right, beginning to end. Yes, yes, right? beginning to end. Bella is in the book series, and uh, we we have not seen her since Shatter Logoth. Mm-hmm. Um, those of you who've not read the books, Bella is is the horse that uh, Egwene left uh, Emmons Field on. It is Rand and Tam's cart horse, and uh, uh, it is uh, Bella is a fan favorite. Uh, we'll just put it that way. So Bella's from the right place, could have been born at the right time, right? <laughs> left town with them. There is no, like, and does the prophecy say that uh, the dragon reborn can't be a horse? I, I don't think there's anything in the prophecy that says the dragon reborn can't be a horse, no. So no. that's my no. call on the big surprise twist. 
<laughs> I'll buy into that. That's 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 a good one. So back to our timeline. We've uh, we're back in the cave with Loghain. Um We've got Moraine and Alana. Uh, they're both holding the shield on Loghain. They're having a little chat. This is where uh, they mention that women can't see men's weaves. So they're definitely keeping with that from the book. Um, any any thoughts about their conversation that they have here? I thought it was interesting that they're old friends, even from like their training, that there's like a novice period that they go through as Aes Sedai. And the other thing that I really noted was that they choose their own color. It's not there's not a sorting hat situation. They right. get to pick where they want to go. So it it begs the question, like, how do they keep their levels up in certain sections of the Aes Sedai? Because I can see there not being very many blues, probably not a lot of uh, grays or browns, just because it does not fun or glorious. So, but not everybody's looking for fun or glory necessarily either. True. Um, but yeah, the very astute observations they're picking up that they they have been friends since they were novices. Um, uh, the, some other information that that happened there. Um, they were talking about a, a dog that Maureen had when they were novices. Maureen says, "Oh no, that wasn't my dog," because Novices couldn't have a dog, even though the dog slept with Moraine in, in Moraine's chambers every night. Um, and uh, Moraine asks if uh, Karina asked Alana to use their past connection to pump her for information, to which Alana says, well, yeah, but I wasn't going to try that for another day or two, because otherwise you'd get suspicious. So, so you know, there, there's obviously a close friendship here if they're, they're talking this, this, with this level of friendship, I, I should say. Old college chums. Very much so. That, that's very much how it reads. The other thing um, I caught at the very end of this uh, sequence is when Elena kind of spills her heart to uh, Moraine about the fact that she's worried that the dragon may be a male and that we're gentling too many people for fear that the dragon may be gentled and then we're hosed for this time around. Yep. Which I think is a rational fear on her part. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about the sort of the self-sorting, the ones that go into the red are, you know, probably the ones that maybe have some sort of grudge against males or male, you know, magic users. Um, you know, there seems to be sort of a, uh, shall we say, sort of supremacist uh, bent to them. Uh, they they tend to 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 the reds in particular. Yeah, to the reds yeah. in particular. Like they, you know, they they don't truck with warders, so everything is, you know, only only women. They seem to trust only women, uh, and even then, only really themselves. So there's a there there's a little parallel for you. Cops will be cops. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some awesome art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like The Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. So, uh, the end of this scene, we see Loghain, he just flexes against their shield for a second, and we see both of them just kind of, 
you know, both uh, Maureen and Alana have to kind of and and bear down in order to to keep Loghain from flexing out of out of that shield. And then we end up back with uh, the Aes Sedai camp again. Um, we've got Nynaeve overlooking the camp, and Leandrin walks up to her and uh, says, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, which I don't know if you guys got this joke, but for book readers, that was one of the funniest things that she could have said at this point, <laughs> because Nynaeve is one of the most hotly debated, how is that name pronounced? Ninyev, uh, Nynaeve, yeah. Nineveh, yeah, I've I've heard so many different versions of it, um, but Nineveh is is apparently the correct version. Um, and uh, she starts trying to ask uh, Nineveh some questions, and Nineveh ain't having any of her Aes Sedai shit, and kind of turns it back around on Leandra and says, "Well, I'm not answering your questions, but you can answer mine if you want." And starts uh, asking her about Maureen. Well, in all seriousness, how did she know Nynaeve's name in the first place? Because she actually speaks it when she walks up. Like, where did she learn it from? Well, I mean, you know, Nynaeve's traveling companions are in the same camp. It's not like, you know, she had absolutely no way of possibly knowing that. I suppose that's fair. I was just wondering if maybe there's a mind-reading element to the Aes Sedai at some point. Oh, That's that's a good thing to wonder about, I suppose. Well, if you're mind reading, you would definitely get the pronunciation. If you're, <laughs> <laughs> how do you in particular pronounce it? And it's like, well, Leandrin's little smirk when Nynaeve asks her about Moraine. Yeah, you've asked a couple of times if we have favorite characters. I haven't narrowed down a favorite, but I definitely have the one I dislike. <laughs> and, and that is very much the character you should probably dislike the most. So I, I think they're doing a good job. Well, it's great then that uh, Nynaeve totally plays her in this scene. Like, yeah. and you, after you cut back, you can tell that she's given up everything she knows about Moraine and her, their whole past. So it's like, yeah, oh, Nynaeve yeah, won this one. Yep. But she doesn't know it yet. <laughs> she's buddy, buddy. We jump to the Grinwell farm, uh, where uh, Tom is suggesting that they sneak up and, and sneak into the barn in the middle of the night and then sneak out early in the morning so that nobody's the wiser. And uh, Rand is just saying, well, you know, we could just go ask. Something so wrong with just asking. And uh, that's when Mr. Grinwell shows up with a bow pointed at them. Uh, Matt goes for his dagger and Tom starts moving towards Mr. Grinwell. So Matt Rand kind of jumps in there and like, cools everybody down and talks to Mr. Grinwell and, and somehow talks him into, yeah, maybe, maybe we can just stay in your barn. I, I liked how he kind of got the, you know, got the intention of Grinwell by you're, you're holding your, you're holding your, your arrow with your fist instead of your fingertips. You're not ready to, to kill us just yet. You're just threatening us. I can tell. Chill out. It's all good. He seemed yeah, very I, I, perceptive. In that yeah. entire sequence, almost Very like insightful there. it wasn't almost like he was channeling there. Well, I mean, that, that just seems sort of a, you know, an archer noticing things about, you know, somebody else. He is a, he is an archer. He's got he's got a lot of experience with that. But to get the intention from just the position of the of the hand, that was that was really cool. He's also a, a farmer like. Rand is a shepherd. He's dealing with someone from the same social class and background. He knows how to talk mm-hmm. to him. So uh, 
Mrs. Grinwell says, well, okay, if you guys muck out the stables, I guess you can stay in the barn. Uh, and then we go back to the Aes Sedai camp. And uh, we've got, as, as said earlier, uh, Leandrin spilling everything she knows <laughs> about Moraine to Nynaeve. Um, and then she uh, invites Nynaeve to come hang out at the Red Aja tent and says, you know, we're, we're always open to any women. I think she very distinctly adds a period on that when she says it. Yeah. So I was interested here where um, obviously Leandrin is telling the truth because she's Aes Sedai, but she mentions that uh, the blues are little more than spies who exaggerate their importance. And so obviously that statement is true, but I'm wondering, is it true because she believes it? So she's stating it as a truth because she believes it, or is that actually something that blue is, is that they exaggerate their importance because that would be something that's kind of subjective, right? Mm -hmm. I I think that's an inherently a subjective thing. Like that's what she believes is, there's no way to objectively determine that or for her yeah, to know what an objective truth is. It's truthfully her opinion. Yes. <laughs> so it suggests that there's a certain amount of leeway in that oath if, when if, there's if, subjectivity. If you believe you're telling a truth, perhaps you can tell that truth because you in your heart of heart believe it is a truth. Yeah, that's kind of where Something it's getting. Like that. yeah. It would have to work that way because the alternative is this is a great way to find out objective truths about the reality. <laughs> right? You are guilty. I can, fuck, I can't say it. That means you're innocent. <laughs> wow. Right? Like, judicial, like, judicial, like, trials are real. You can't keep a secret in a world where somebody can speak objective truth. <laughs> you need to send the questioners to Axel for a TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> So after uh, Leandrin and, and uh, invites Nynaeve to come hang out at the, the Red's fires, uh, Lan shows up. Uh, Leandrin gives him a, a, a look and leaves. Nynaeve says, uh, she's a snake. I think the White Tower's full of them. And Lan talks to her for a second and kind of says, yeah, the, that might be true. And then he says, you're welcome around our fire. You can come hang out with the warders if you want, but you have to promise not to shove anybody into the fire. Yeah. I see that as a real bonding moment. Like yes. they're buddies so the at this way point. They, the way they poke at each other, it's like this mutual aggravation society. <laughs> it's wonderful to see. <laughs> like they're genuinely bonding over well, it. You know she has to trust him because otherwise she wouldn't be calling the rest of his clan snakes, right? It's something she really trusts him at this point. Or at least she recognizes so, that, you know... At least Leandrin, if not the entirety of the Reds, are not going to do her any favors. So she knows who butters her bread at this point. Yep. So we end up back at the uh, Tuathwan caravan. Um, We've got uh, Perrin and Egwene, and they're chatting uh, with Isla about the Way of the Leaf. And Isla kind of covers everything that I had to say about the Way of the Leaf last episode, uh, but a little more, more poetically, I would say. David, you have something to say. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that we kind of got the juxtaposition of two completely different philosophies of the same world, uh, episode over episode. So we got the kind of um, nihilistic version of the world at the end of the last episode, and now we're getting this beautiful... Um, everything gets returned and you get to have a trial over and over again and get things right kind of view of the exact same world and the exact same 
uh, structure, but two different separate philosophies kind of really juxtaposed to one another. Yeah, I, I caught that as well and thought that was a, a beautiful juxtaposition. Yep. I cried like a baby during that conversation. Oh, oh, oh yeah. She, she, she got parent. Yeah. I, I, I have lost people in my life and the idea that, um, even though I'm never going to see them again in this life, that I can work to make the world a better place for when they come back. That like right through the fucking heart. Mm, yeah. like, <laughs> and I could really given what Perrin's gone through. I could really see him wanting to stay with the travelers. Yeah, he wants and, redemption. He wants redemption. He wants forgiveness. He wants that burden off of him. And what she says just a little bit later Hits yeah. him hard when she talks about yeah. the axe. Yeah, and she stopped yeah, she, on the axe used... and then continue using the axe as a the metaphor or not. Well, well, she she started uh, naming off a few different weapons, and she noticed Perrin react when she said axe. Then she starts uh, really just leaning into talking about the axe, and that's when you see that look on Perrin's face. You can see it just starting to eat him alive. You know, it almost seemed to me like she didn't catch him reacting and, and she just knew as I was wondering if she's maybe channeling a little bit too in her own way, like uh, the wisdoms here. I'm, I'm starting to think that you just think everybody's channeling. <laughs> Why not? Well, she's got really good hearing. She heard his eyebrows go up and his eyes and open. Every, everybody's walking down the road. He must be channeling that. That's the only way his feet could move. Right. Hey, the force is all around us. And you just do, whoever can pick up on it, can pick up on it. Binds the universe together. So uh, next we jump back to the Grinwell farm. Uh, we've got uh, Rand and Matt there mucking out the stables. Uh, and Tom is not mucking out the stables but because we find out that he offered to do a Gleeman performance for the family rather than muck out the stables, and they have accepted this. So Rand and Matt are a little put out by the fact that they have to muck out the stables on their own. Yeah, he's a bit uh, diva, but hey. <laughs> yeah, no room to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get a sense that Rand was uh, objecting. It looked like it was just Matt. Yeah, you have a valid point there. Yeah, yeah. Rand just kind of like there's manual labor to do. Okay, you know. Yeah, he, he's farm. a farm he's... boy. He, it's just you know, where are the chores? Let's go. Let's go do some chores. It's time for choring. Yep, needs to. Um, so uh, Matt uh, says, I'm, I'm not feeling so hot. I'm going to step out for a second and goes over by the trough and he vomits and he vomits some black stuff everywhere. It looked to me almost like that was the same stuff that was at Shadar Lagoth. Like he had taken mm -hmm. some of it with yeah. him. And that's what I thought. He too. didn't get dusted, but he's got some of it inside of him, whether that's because of the dagger or it caught up to him while they were running or whatever. But it seemed like that's what is there. Yeah. Uh, so little Helga Grinwell comes out and she brings uh, Matt a, a loaf of bread. Says, uh, Mommy said to, to bring this loaf of bread and then go right back in and I'm not supposed to talk to you. And he says, well, you're still here anyway. And she says, yeah, because... And we kind of get the, the story again of wanting to leave on adventure. And, and she gives uh, uh, Matt her little doll, Brigitta. Says, Brigitta's always wanted to go out on an adventure. Uh, what are we thinking here? I'm just thinking how soft Matt is when it comes to little girls, um, which sounds weird. But, you know, he sees he sees his sister 
<laughs> you know, he's so harsh and so prickly with everybody, but mm-hmm. he sees yeah. a small little girl child and he's like, ah, another sister to love and protect. And I think honestly, Agreed. like that might be Matt at his most self, you know, the Matt that he's com- most comfortable with being. Just, I just thought it was just a really sweet aside a moment. Yeah. Once again, we're seeing the softer side of Matt, which they keep emphasizing, I think. Um, and, and just a little bit of background, uh, that doll Brigitte that, that she hands over. Um, in, in this world, uh, in the books, um, they occasionally talk about uh, legends within the books, you know, stories and myths that are passed down with them. And uh, many of those stories and myths are about uh, warriors, you know, warriors of great renown. One of those is Brigida. Um, the story that is passed down is Brigida Silverbow. Um, she, you can tell that it's Brigida by uh, she always has a very long blonde braid. Um, she has a bow and silver arrows, and she never misses. And you know, kind of your your typical archer myth legend kind your of Hawkeye. thing. And yeah, exactly, your your Hawkeye, your Green Arrow, your Legolas. Um, and that's just the, the the story of Brigida. So that that's the doll that she hands Matt. And I thought that was a nice little nod to, you know, some of the in-universe lore and legends. Nice. Um, so then we jump back over to Tom and Rand. And uh, Tom is uh, telling Rand about his nephew, Owen. He's saying uh, Owen was... was getting kind of, kind of uh, a little weird. And people were wondering about Owen and... Up until the point that Owen threw a rock at somebody without using his hands. Uh, then starts indicating that he thinks that Matt is the same as Owen. Uh, what are we thinking? Well, it's another, uh, th- that's another cautionary tale about what the Aes Sedai would do. You know, the, he gets gentled by the Aes Sedai. Uh, Owen is, you know, yet another one that has been taken down by the sort of the frontier justice of the Reds, it seems like. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was Leandrin who was involved in this, because there's no story about Owen going to the tower for trial. This is true. That, that's a very good point. I hadn't even picked up on that. And it gives us more of Tom's backstory and why he might be latching on to these two yeah, random yeah. travelers he, on the road. He, he couldn't protect his, his nephew, but maybe he can protect these, these other boys that seem to be in the same predicament. So he goes on with the story, says, as you said, uh, the Aes Sedai gentled Owen, and uh, Owen, a couple weeks later, just slit his own throat in the middle of dinner, just committed suicide. So I think that, that really shows how gentling affects these people, or, or how stilling in the case of, of, of female channels. Uh, affects them. Um, they they just lose all interest in life. Um, do we have any thoughts on this? Um, you know, I said earlier how it seems in men the power isn't integrated properly. But, you know, if gentling is supposed to be, you know, the compassionate way out, you know, you are, you know, you're removed from the power, but you still have your life. But you know, these men, they don't have their life because, you know, they're supposed to have the power. So something critical, something fundamental is missing to the point where they would rather just no longer exist than learn how to survive without it. And so, like, there is just 
some really, you know, scary psychological like going ons with that, you know, is it like when you have the power, is that, is that part of your soul? Is that part of your spirit where yes, technically, you know, you're alive, you're a person, but you know, you're, you're not yeah. whole. And so, yes, you're corrupted, but you know, being corrupted is better than not. So, so what I'm, I'm hearing all. you say here is, is gentling, like removing part of your soul in a way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got a real sort of, you know, McMurphy from one floor of the cuckoo's nest kind of vibe. You know, after he was lobotomized, it was like, what's the point? You know, I, 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 that's, that's kind of the vibe I got from it was just the idea that you've touched greatness. Now you've got nothing. Why bother? Uh, You know, you, you're not complete. There's, there's something, there's something inherent in the ability to, to touch the source that you know, is, is just part of you, you know, it's, it's thrust upon you. You don't go seeking, seeking it out. So, uh, Rand kind of looks at Tom at this point and, and says, you know, for somebody called a glee man, you're not very gleeful. (laughs) And, uh, Tom just says, uh, we use that name to, to, to hide ourselves because nothing is more dangerous than a man who knows the past, which, Sounds like a really, really cool thing for somebody who thinks they're a badass to say to somebody else. <laughs> super deep, too, though. And I noticed that immediately after he says that, we had a quick cut to Loghain. Yeah. And the cuts in this show are so telling. I've, I didn't notice until rewatching and then this episode. It's like, pay attention to where they're cutting after something is said because it really points to the next thing and what was said and has meaning behind it. Cause I think Logan is definitely somebody who knows the past and what was gone, what was going on in the past and is definitely dangerous. Yep. He knows, he knows the, the legend of the dragon and how to turn it around. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that, how to that, interpret that it up, to his, to his own ends. Exactly. I think, but, but that brings up the point. Is it, uh, the show, guiding you there or it just where they want you to go. So it, it, is it a red herring or not? Is, is what you're trying to get, yeah, there, get at. There's, yeah. There, there are, there are lots of clues, but there's also MacGuffins abound. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I've been questioning is like, there's certain things they seem to want you to conclude. Like they want you to conclude that Matt is, um, a potential magic user and corrupted and, and seeing things and sick. But is that actually what's happening? Right. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to watch and find out, won't we? Uh, so jumping back to the Aes Sedai camp, uh, we've got uh, everybody sitting around the campfire, all the warders and, and Nynaeve, and Stepan is telling a story of uh, Lan and getting bucked off of a horse when he was young. <laughs> um, I love this scene. Yeah. It, it really uh, to, humanizes oh, the too. warders. Yeah, yeah, and, and it really humanizes Lan, who that, we've seen in particular, do kind yeah. of no wrong at this point. And, and, you know, knowing that there's somebody out there that knows him from back before he could do no wrong is, is a nice little touch. Yeah. Um, I love the two warders cuddling around the fire. Yeah, Maxime and, and Yvonne uh, cuddling in the background. I liked that, that little touch as well. Uh, what did we think about that? Any, any expanded thoughts on, on uh, Ivan and Maxime? Oh, they seem to uh, to to have something going on with uh, who was their 
who was there? I said I. Uh, um, Alana. Alana, yeah. yeah. When <laughs> when she came by, that's like, yeah, we're all going to turn in. There's a. Uh, you know, that's probably why she wasn't getting enough sleep to have to <laughs> more time to worry. <laughs> yeah, I was glad Nynaeve asked because I wanted to know too. And it's, it's funny, like way back first episode, Hot Tub Scene, I was like, oh, is, is this something that is, is that a component of the water Sedai relationship? Or is this just like a brother sister thing? And, you know, your toddlers end up sharing a bath. Like, what what is this going on? And then I was like, no, no, no. Just take off your shipping no. goggles. <laughs> Fast forward to now, you know, I was like, oh, I was right the first time. Okay. It, it's, it does seem to be an option that's yeah. on the table. You have yeah. to think yeah. that bond makes it more interesting and exciting. That's true. Yeah. The greens yeah. have multiple, you know, warders. So, hey, thruple time. So, uh, Nynaeve, uh, asked them all and she's like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're servants to these Aes Sedai. How can, how can you just be a servant like that? And, and. That's when uh, Stepan says, no, uh, I Sedai in the old tongue, it means servant of all. They're the servants. He says, well, what does that make you? And Lan just says, proud. I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. uh, a really great way of laying out how the warders actually feel about their I Sedai in this situation. Yep. It, 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 it really laid that out. It was... Uh... Yeah, it, it was very, very well done. Uh, we got the point, you know, didn't need 15 pages of exposition. Yeah. <laughs> for that. <laughs> that was summed up in a single word. Proud. Yeah. So then we jump into Moraine's tent uh, where Lan is talking to Moraine. He says, uh, you know, Loghain is 10 years too old. Um, Moraine is kind of looking at him like, yeah, but he might still be the guy. Lan says, uh, is he as strong as Egwene? So what are we thinking at that, at that uh, sudden revelation? She says no, and it took two Aes Sedai to hold this guy back. So holy cow. Right. And, and we haven't even really seen Egwene do anything other than possibly light a fire at this point. Yet. Yet. Um, and then uh, there's a, a sweet, tender moment between Land and Maureen, and she reaches over and grabs Land's hand, and he uh, looks at her grabbing his hand and says, uh, I knew I shouldn't have had that drink. You always get emotional when I drink. That that was... Land told a joke! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, all, it also could be a little hint between sort of the, you know, the bond. You know, you get the... Go flashback to that scene in E.T. when E.T.'s at home getting into the refrigerator, getting drunk, and here's Elliot at school just yeah. <laughs> Foster Brooks ended up. So we jump back over to uh, the Tuathwan again. Well, let's uh, let's go got, back. Uh, hey, we missed a oh, thing. Oh. During that exchange, she said, 20 years we hunted and we lost them. And I was wondering, what is them? And and Land kind of mentions that it was his fault that they lost them. I was like, well, did they? I, 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 did they have the dragons? I think what she's no, I think what she's referring to there is the fact that they went looking for these people for the last twenty years, found them in the two rivers, and then lost them as soon as they got to Shatter Logo. Okay, yeah. that makes more sense. All right, that yeah, that clears that up. <laughs> okay, uh, so moving on, uh, we're with the the Tuathuan, uh, again, and we've got Egwene dancing with Aram. Um, and Perrin kind of standing over off to the side, eoring around, as Perrin is wont to do at this point. You guys um, go ahead. 
Yes. Uh, so uh, Aram uh, tells Egwene about the song, uh, which is something I, I explained last episode as well, so we don't need to go into that too much. Um, I, lo- I loved her observation as she sees everybody dancing around and just finding joy in their existence. And it's like, well, maybe you've already found it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't find it already? These people yeah. seem to be having a good time. Yeah. Um, so then we jump to Perrin and Isla, um, and she she notes that he finds peace in doing metal work as he's fixing a wagon wheel for them. Um, and they, they have a little conversation about running versus fighting. Um, she says, you know, we, if, if somebody threatens you, you should run. And he says, you should stand up and, and fight for yourself. Um, what are we thinking here? Oh, he's still not an enlightened, quote unquote, uh, guy. You know, it's the way he's the way he's always been. You know, it's the way things are in the in the two rivers. You know, you you look at back at the uh, the the women's council taking the pitchforks to the Trollocs. You know, that's yeah. that's what they do. You know, it's yeah, sort yeah. of the, a the, we don't call nine one one sign on the front yeah. of the village there. <laughs> the the you know this is the blood of Manetherin. You know, they 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 aren't going to back down. That's true. Um, so then we've got uh, Aram and, and Egwene uh, talking again about Tuathwan philosophy. Um, and if you notice, Aram is, is talking a lot about the, the Tuathwan who have left. Yeah, I noticed that they practice Rumspringa. Yes, yeah, that's what yeah, I got out of it too. That's like, oh yeah, <laughs> that was de- that, that is definite, uh, you know, Amish spring break vibe. Yeah. So what are we thinking about uh, Aram at this point? He seems like he's deep and he actually does believe in the philosophy uh, just in a different way than his elders do because he, he really kind of is able to explain it, but he explains it in his own way and he doesn't seem like he's ready to leave. He seems like he's ready to stay, but doesn't necessarily believe it in the same way that everybody else does. Yeah. He's been out, he's seen it and he's seen the world and realizes, Hey, this could actually be a good thing in the the wider world right do we actually know that he's done his time outside of the the traveler camp he's he's got that little cynical edge that it's like oh yeah this this guy's been to town you know uh so continuing our story we're back at the grinwell barn um rand and matt are, are sleeping in the stall and uh rand wakes up and just kind of tells matt you know i've got your back you know, no matter what's going going on with us, uh, I've got your back. We're we're good friends. And then he uh, falls asleep and and has a dream with all of his friends doing strange things, and and our good old friend Flameface showing up in in his dream yet again. Uh, do we have any thoughts about that dream? This one was weird. Like I couldn't interpret the the things going on this time. It was very strange. Yeah, it seemed like uh, Perrin, Perrin was just hitting something with a hammer and, and Egwene was just kind of standing there looking shocked and, and Matt was wandering around with blood on his hands, but it didn't really, didn't really gel in, in, to me in, in a lot of ways. And at this point, I'm believing that our friend in the nightmares is the dark one and that they're speaking to them. I've thought that from the first one, that that was the dark one opening up a conduit. Okay. Um, the easiest way, maybe the most expedient way that the dark one knows how, you know, get in the minds of these four or five and try to twist them. And if, you know, not 
if not twist them to the dark one, then, you know, make it so that they are, you know, taken out of the game as early as possible. Well, and we learned in the last episode that the dark friends are actually spoken to through their dreams. It was something I noticed on the last watch through. Yes, that's, that's true. Dana does say that he came to that, that the information was brought to her through her dreams, didn't she? So uh, Tom uh, wakes up Matt or wakes up Rand from his nightmare and uh, says, shit, where's Matt? So they go running off looking for Matt, uh, find him inside the Grinwell house with, uh, unfortunately, all of the Grinwells looking very dead. Uh, what are we thinking at this point in the scene? Well, the, the first thing they want you to think is that, yeah, you know, Matt did it. Matt did it. But there's no blood on his blade. Well, that, that seems to be what Tom and, and Rand immediately mm -hmm. think. They look around, they see the bodies, they look at Matt, and it's like, what have you done? Right. And then Matt points his dagger up at the darkness up above and says, I see you. And that's when our, our fade comes, comes out of the darkness for the first time. And now what are we thinking? No, Mr. Fade done dude it. That's These boys, our boys are in trouble. Yeah, well, that too, yeah. <laughs> you know. That's that's the part of Scooby Doo where they they figure out who it is, but they haven't quite caught him and unmasked. And I'm wondering what's yet. going on with Matt at this point, like because he's got the glossed over eyes and everything, but he's still kind of coherent enough to be f fighting ish the fade by identifying him, and right. he doesn't seem to be doing evil at this point. I mean, his blade's clean, but. Has he, he done ev any the, evil at all? The glossy eyes suggest that he's being taken over or something. So what's going on with that? Yeah. And, and is it that he is connected to the power or is it something the dagger is doing to him? Or whatever darkness is inside him. Whatever shadows that, uh, you know, the, the fades seem to, seem to enjoy the shadow. So did he summon him there? Was he sort of a vessel for the fade? With whatever he's got inside him, there's uh, there's lots that could have could have happened there. Okay, I think this is a point where I can I can give you guys a little bit more background lore on the fades. Um, I know in in the trivia on yes. on Amazon they have given a little background lore, so I don't feel bad about giving it here. Um, they the the uh, technical name for these creatures is Mirdral. Um, that that is their name, the Mirdral. Um, but they are called different things in different lands: uh, Fades, Lurks, Shadow Men, Half Men, the Eyeless. Um, there are as many different names for these creatures as as there are places in this world. Um, and one of the things that that is often said about the Mirdral is uh, the look of the Eyeless is fear. So if a Mirdral catches eyes with you, which you know. Not entirely sure how they do that without actually having <laughs> eyes. But if they connect eyes with you, you pretty much feel pants shitting fear at that point. Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, uh, Dr. Jonathan Crane, you know, yep. it cranked up to 11. It, it's it's uh, Sinestro would, would recruit these guys to the, red, the uh, Yellow Lantern Corps in a second. You know, that, 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 that's what these guys do. Um, and then another thing that fades do that we saw in this scene is they can actually travel through shadow. So they can step into the darkness of a shadow and step out of the darkness of another shadow, 
which we saw him do when he stepped backwards into the shadow at the top of the, the landing and then stepped out of the shadow at the bottom of the stairs. Did anybody pick up on that? Yeah, I... I, I well, that's not terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of got that on, on second watch after I read that in the trivia. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's, uh, there's definitely an affinity there. And what's the connection between the shadow, the quote-unquote shadow, and... Mm the black stuff that, you know, that Matt was throwing up. Yeah, that is a good question. What is the connection there? Hmm. So, uh, moving on, um, Rand and Matt uh, make a run for it. Tom valiantly stays behind to start fighting the Fade. And uh, what do we think about Tom fighting the Fade? Where did he learn to fight like that? That was very unexpected. Tom is part of a protection. Tom's part of a protection squad, and you know, Gleeman should cover. <laughs> it's official. Gleeman is a cover for the Pinkertons or something. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if we have another possible ex warder on our hands. I mean, what do warders do if they lose their Sedai? Mm. They're not going to join up with another one. You don't have that level of intimacy again in your life. So maybe they become. Gleeman and sheep farmers and all kinds of other things. Vagabonds and troubadours and roustabouts. Well, there's an interesting thought. And maybe like he, him leave, or maybe his leaving was because he witnessed um, Red um, gentling his brother and that oh, horrified and shocked him and all of it. Sorry, nephew. Yeah. Horrified shocked him. And that's turned him against the order and why he's saying, you guys need to not take Matt to that tower. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Good thoughts all around. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if he shows back up again. You know, will he, will he be able to defend himself against the fate? He said he was going to stick with the boys. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, he's in a life and death struggle as they run for their lives. So will he catch up? I just want to point out something here. Um, notice how I said earlier, the look of the eyeless is fear. And, and these things cause pants shitting fear in, in even some of the strongest people. And uh, if you notice, Tom didn't even hesitate and went straight at that fade. Or so he could be a dark friend that is <laughs> in <laughs> throwing up a little, uh, a little, a little theater there to, uh, to keep things the way he wants them to go. There's hope yeah, for you had, yet, Greg. I had that thought. What's that? There's hope for you yet. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did have that thought that, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there, there could be some sort of, you know, maybe Tom is the one who actually killed the, the, killed the family. Oh. You know, maybe making it look like Matt. I don't know. You know, there's there's two ways it could go. There, there, he's still very, uh, you know, things are ambiguous enough that things could go either way, and I'd be fine with it. I kind of get the impression he's the kind of character who has no time for fear anymore. Could be. Could be. So we jump back to uh, Loghain's cave, um, and uh, Leandrin and uh, Karina are, are there. Um, and this is the... the 
the discussion that, that was brought up earlier where Leandrin says, you know, this, this really sucks. If he were to uh, nudge, nudge, and wink, wink, get out, you know, we would have to gentle him. And uh, Karen is like, yeah, no, no, we, we do this by the book. We're supposed to take him to the tower. We're taking him to the tower. Good cop, bad cop. Good cop, bad cop. Exactly. Uh, so then we go uh, out to the forest, uh, where we find Lan doing uh, some kind of a prayer ritual, and uh, Nynaeve approaches. Um, you know, she asks, "What's that?" And he says, uh, "This is seven times for the seven towers of Malkir, for the home we lost, the home we shall find again, in this life or the next." And then he pours one out for his dead homies. Um, what are we thinking of of this scene so far? It definitely does show um, a little more of the bonding that's happening between Lan and Nynaeve yeah. because, you know, he translates this saying for her that um, she learned from her parents and you can see her smile when she finds out what they said. Right. She, she kisses. And she doesn't smile often. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Lan talks to Nynaeve and, and tells her that that thing that she just said, it's, uh, it's Eamon's last words to his wife uh, from Manethrin, uh, which was, we shall go into the land so our children can always hold us and we will never be alone, which is kind of that story of Manethrin that we heard Moraine say. And, and this makes Nynaeve tear up a little bit. She says, uh, you know, Lan, you, you aren't quite what I thought you were at first. So uh, what are we thinking about to Nynaeve and Lan at this moment? So much bonding. I wish we got to hear what he thinks of her. They just conveniently didn't tell us. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's, he's about to tell her what, what he thinks of her and uh, all of our wards start going off. But that's very much his idiom, right? Yes. Um, so the, the wards start going off and we hear what those, those wards are. It's, uh, like bird calls. We hear, uh, some, some bird calls going off all around camp. And these are the wards that, uh, Karina had set up previously. Um, and the camp goes into chaos saying, Oh, this means that, that Loghain's followers are coming for him. And they look up and there's a bunch of arrows incoming. And Alana looks up and says, I don't think so, and kind of stops them all in, in uh, midair. And then we quickly jump over to Loghain, and he flexes and breaks the shield. We get a moment from Leandrin where she's like, oh, there's no way they could make it past four full-grown sisters. There's no way. Yeah. And then she gets knocked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Steppen feels, uh, Karina getting knocked out and, uh, makes a run for the cave. Um, and Alana is, says, uh, I'm going to send these, uh, arrows back postage due. These, these, <laughs> these, I, I don't want these things. So, uh, Return she just turns cinder. Yes. So she turns them around and sends them back where they came from. And, and then we see, uh, Loghain's followers come, come rushing through, um, led by the king. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, where we start to see what Aes Sedai can do in battle. Um, wh what are we thinking now of the Aes Sedai? Wow. As uh, advertised. <laughs> definitely strength in numbers. You know, I did notice, though, the, the Greens warders seem to be a little less aggressive than Lan is when defending. Like, uh, Lan would go out and attack a little more, and it seemed like... Um, the green warders were kind of staying back and letting the greens take care of business until the very last moment when they started attacking. 
it almost seems like there's a dynamic there. Which makes sense, but then why don't they have shields? Like, the defensive, mm. they should have shields. Yeah, you would think. You would think. It's more of a, like an enforcer status. Well, and the, one, the one's an archer, too, right? Like, that's a, a very offensive weapon, usually. Not very defensive at all. Right. But, I mean, this is very much Hollywood... Um, this is Hollywood combat, right? Where yeah. nobody posts guards. There are no pickets. Uh, there's no defensive strategy. Um, the attackers come in a raggedy charge without any attempt at strategy or tactics. And this is led by a king, the king of Thaldon. Um, <laughs> it's not GH, right? as in cough, Thaldon. Um, yes. So. Like they should again, they should have like you know, I'd expect it again, shields, a shield wall advancing, you've got the archers behind it, you know, spears moving in in in, in line, you know, so you can get a shock of impact. But yeah, Hollywood don't want to show fights like fights. Right. Well, then again, come on, it's, you know, it's fantasy. But I mean, but you, you do have a point. That is the exact same thing that they did show in Game of Thrones. And in Lord of the Rings movie. Mm-hmm. Like every, like just Hollywood don't want to show. Because I, th- I think it's because um, that like pre-gun, pre-gun combat look really boring if they've done properly because they feature large blocks of people moving at a walking pace together. True. Because <laughs> you don't run into a fight. Because if you run, unless they're shooting lots of arrows at you, by the time you arrive, you're tired. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's going to swing around his good, good luck parrying yeah. anything. Yeah. Right. right, and you want, and also if there are ten of you and you arrive together, you can all like wallop at the same time. You're much more likely to put the enemies down. You're not going to get flanked. But yeah, it doesn't look so exciting on TV. Yeah, true, true. But they made it look real exciting. There was one. Yeah, there was one shot in there where it was sort of slow motion and. You see Nynaeve just being very, you know, sh- shocked at what's going on. There's one slow motion. There is one stuntman who is blown like 20 feet into the air against the trees. It's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> they made it look great. Not yeah, the, real, the, the, but great. The practical effects are, are out in force again yeah, here yes. for sure. Exciting and real, unfortunately, are opposed TV producers go for exciting because, of course, they should because this is TV. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the Greens seem to be able to just shoot the magic wherever they wanted without worrying about who was in front of them. I wonder if that's because she was, like, firing it through the ground because she was using the the Earth magic instead of, like, Moraine seemed to have to fire it around people, but she could seemingly shoot past her warders without worrying about hitting them in the process. Well, and that might just be part of being a green sister, you know. They're they're the battle aja, so of course they they know battle techniques to to make sure their warders don't get hurt. The you know, curved so. bullet, so to speak. Exactly. So we jump back to the cave. Uh, we see Loghain, uh now free of the shield, and he just starts melting the bars on on his cage. Uh, he walks free, and Moraine walks in, and we're expecting a big confrontation. And instead, Moraine just walks up and says, uh, "So, so why is it I should believe that you're the Dragon Reborn? We've only got a minute to talk. You better convince me real quick here." 
And uh, Loghain looks at her and says, I can hear thousands of previous dragons talking to, through, talking to me through time. Uh, I, th I thought of you, Samaria, when, when this line came up. Oh, I thought, yes. I um, felt 12 again watching <laughs> Avatar for, you know, the first time. Um, yeah. And so I don't know if he would have convinced me, but I was definitely ready to sit down and have a heart to heart with this guy because, you know, Moraine says, oh, well, that's the madness speaking. You're not actually the dragon reborn. Those are not the past lives. But, you know, there was a part of me that said, okay, but the madness seems to have an element of truth to it. And so it seems not to outright yeah. lie to these men. It seems to take what's actually real and present it in, I guess, a very manipulative way. And so I, you know, I'm sitting there watching this and I'm like, okay, so if he can hear past lives, maybe he's not the dragon, but the, that does not mean that those past lives aren't real. Oh, interesting thought. You know, those, you know, just perhaps. Maybe his past lives are all crazy and all thought they were dragons as well. <laughs> well, hey, maybe <laughs> it's on the table. You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm still interested in what Moraine's part in determining who the dragon is like is she able to yeah. send i i get the feeling that she sensed that this guy's power isn't enough because of the the kind of message she gives him later but also her talking with lan in the tent he's like because she pretty much said that Egwene is more powerful yeah. than this guy so that kind of says oh okay not not gonna be this one because you yeah. can't channel enough and but and and Moraine says that to him directly. She's you know pretty much like, hey, uh, you know you're you're yeah you're really strong, but you're not Dragon Reborn strong. That's that's a whole another level that you're not even close to, buddy. I did get the impression that it was that conversation, as brief as it was, that helped her make up her mind. No, I think she pretty much had her mind made up, but gave him the chance to speak anyway, and maybe that says more about her as well. Right. Uh, so then uh, Karna and Leandrin uh, wake up while, while Maureen is talking with him. And they, uh, they, all, they three together try to shield Loghain, and uh, he tries to keep them from shielding him and throw something at them. Uh, Karna protects uh, Leandrin and Maureen, but she herself gets, gets stabbed by whatever this thing is that, that Loghain is throwing. That selfless action, that was... It, it, it took the second time watching to realize that, you know... She was the one who reached out to protect the other two. Yeah. And meanwhile, wound up taking it straight. And it's like, uh. Yeah, I was like, oh, and Leandrin thought that Moraine was the one that was selfless to a fault. Right. Yeah. So uh, we jump back outside and we see Stepan, who's uh, Karina's warder, and he feels her die. And uh, this is kind of an oh shit moment. Like you can see the look on his face and you can see uh, everybody else also realizing when they see the look on his face. Mm -hmm. And he's not the only one affected. Yeah. No, like, you're, you're right. The other eyes to die are also yeah. affected too. Right. And uh, you, you hear Alana say, go to her. I've got this. Uh, I'll, I'll take care of the people. And then uh, Indeed, Alana does got this and does take care of the situation and, and uh, says fuck you to all of these people in particular. And, and... 
And uh, yeah, that that was a, a really powerful scene, and and my my spouse actually like all but jumped off of the couch in like cheering at that scene. Yeah, she was definitely taking care of business. It was uh, it was it, <laughs> her time to shine. Yeah. Well, and I get the sense that the death of Corinna kind of pushed them to be a little bit more aggressive, a little more intense and just get the job done in that moment. Cause we see later that Leandrin's about to kill herself just to shoot her revenge upon Loghain for this. Right. Yeah. So uh, we jump back into the cave and we see uh, that, that the sisters who are there now kind of have Loghain mostly under control. They've, they've got the shield around him and they're trying to, to, keep him in position and uh Steppen comes walking in and and he sees his his isodized body and uh we just see madness come over him at this point no Steppen, don't out. do yeah. it <laughs> and all he can think of is is i'm gonna kill this guy and goes running at Loghain with both axes um gets Gets the axes kind of stuck in the shield, as it were, but that gives uh, Loghain a way to get out of the shield. Which was such a cool effect. Not wasn't only it though? Turning the turning the weapon into a weapon on everyone else. You know, it 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 fucked everybody up, but good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he he turns the the axes themselves into into uh, just projectiles, and pretty much just shanks everyone in the room. Like everybody gets shanked and everybody falls and goes down. And I just have to ask, what were you all thinking at this moment? That was, that was my, Oh, moment. Uh, it was like, how are they going to get out of this one? How are the Duke boys going to get out of this one? You know? So it was a, (laughs) it it, it was like, okay, it's darkest before the dawn. There better be a dawn coming. Did they really just do that in the fourth episode? <laughs> right. Yeah. Are they going to do land dirty like that? That was oof. Oh yeah, I was like, not land. Everybody <laughs> else can go, not land. Um, and my girl was like, oh, is everybody dead? I was like, no, it's only episode four. They can't kill everybody this early. I I, I think what they were going for here was uh, everybody's seen Game of Thrones at this point, and everybody knows about the Red Wedding, and everybody knows, you know, everybody dies at the Red Wedding. And I think they were trying to set up for every a, a pump fake on the Red Wedding where everybody thinks like, oh, my God. Well, and, even that also going back to Game of Thrones, you know, season one, they take Ned's head off on like episode six or seven. So it's yeah. like, you know, fair game at that point. What it made. One of, so one of the things that made me wonder is that either this is showing that Aes Sedai almost never die or they're really shit at training warders. <laughs> they're too busy having a little bit of jiggery pokery with their uh with their SDI and each other yeah but you know like i mean their job is supposed to be like we know that these um the, the crazy men wizard or maybe it's just that the only people that really have to deal with this are the reds and that's why they don't have waters yeah that that could be a good point as because well because they because when an ice, if an ice actually dies, the water turns into a a potential threat in their own right. Wild card, bitches. 
So uh, Nynaeve uh, comes running into the cave at this point, and she sees everybody laying around bleeding out, and uh, she 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 has some thoughts on the matter. I think we can say. Um, <laughs> Oh, she was in the cave when it exploded. It just missed that, that's her. That's true. She was. Yeah. Um, or did it? It missed her. And 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 uh, then we we see what uh, Nynaeve's been uh, been kind of hiding from us so far, um, and possibly from herself. Yeah. Um. She she pretty much went super cyan in this moment, and and uh, pretty much healed everybody in one big like thermonuclear healing bomb blast. Um, what are we apart? Oh, that was, yeah, yeah, that yeah. shot with her braid rising up from the waves or whatever of the magic was just intense and unraveling. It's like, ooh, yeah. Well, she's not a small town wisdom anymore. <laughs> uh, so, so what are what are we really thinking in this scene? Like, uh, just seeing Nynaeve just completely lose it to this this level. I like. I knew it was coming. I thought it would happen out in the forest. But, you know, the cave was even better. Um, yeah, she was hiding from herself. I think it was like she wanted to be a small town wisdom. So she was going to keep being a small town wisdom. But here she did not have a choice. And I think here's when she like just admitted in one fell swoop, like how much mm-hmm. these people in this journey means to her. And really understood the cost and the stakes of like what she stood to lose if she let these people die. Um, or, you know, even if she didn't necessarily let these people die, if, you know, if they just off, if they were gone and it was just her left. Um, and, you know, it was just like do or die. And she did. She did in a big way. It really just seemed to burst out of her, like not a conscious decision. Yeah. That, I was wondering that the first time because I, mentioned before on the podcast i think nynaeve's more powerful than she appears but on the second watching it definitely looked like that was completely unintentional like it was an emotional outburst coming from her but it showed that there's this natural connection that it's not a trained connection i mean she's had some training you know by her her the you know the person she was an apprentice to the the former wisdom the previous wisdom but she has She's got it. She's got the she's got the metachlorians, you know, she's <laughs> <laughs> and her no was a lot more convincing than Anakin's in episode three. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> um, I'm thinking I'm, I'm wondering what, what you're all thinking about the fact that uh, she finally breaks. We finally see her as as this insanely powerful user of the one power. And the first thing we see her do is heal everyone. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, what, what is this telling us about Nynaeve's character at this point? She's got some training and healing, you know, you, you can, that's something that she had already been doing back in two rivers, but she's a superstar at it. She's, she's a, just, tapped into something and it took that it took that emotional uh shock to make it happen she could have healed moraine back in the beginning when she first tracked down moraine and lan but she didn't have an emotional connection to moraine yet she's developed one with lan yeah the emotion the emotional connection was rage she did not like her at all 
when she first met up with him, you know, outside of the uh, outside of the city. She also didn't use it to defend herself from the Trolloc. She took the Trolloc out with the sword. True. I think it speaks to she didn't know she had. This isn't a power that she knew she had. This wasn't a. I don't think this was a choice she made. This was the emotional response to death. Bad. Do not like this. Yeah, and as a healer, wanting to heal everybody with that emotional outburst, it just became that big in that moment. I think I think her, her focus was on land, but it just so happened to heal everybody. It was that but she she, that she had a splash effect on on her spell, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and if you notice, I don't think she. In- I don't think she intended to, uh, you know, to to heal the Reds, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you think she was, she, her emotional outburst was to heal Lan and everybody else was, was uh, just gravy at that point. Yeah, and it speaks to the sheer size of the outburst of magic. And you notice that it's mentioned that it's going to be the sun. You know, mm-hmm. Moraine says mm-hmm. that his magic is a, can prick of candlelight next to the sun. The shape of that magic was a sun. It was a yeah. very hot ball and, in the middle. And then you had the rays kind of coming off of it. Yeah. And and then you actually have Loghain saying literally it's like a radiant sun. Yeah. He, so, yeah. he sees I mean, the yeah, light, so to speak at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> that's when he realizes, Oh yeah. I'm oh, maybe I'm not so uh, dragony reborny as I thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, Leandrin sees sees her her uh, opportunity at this moment to do what she's been wanting to do from the very beginning, and she says, "Sisters, link with me, and let's let's take care of him." And that's when we see all of the Aes Sedai link up, and then they gentle him right then and there. That and didn't look too gentle. Mm-mm. No, no, <laughs> not in the slightest. And that scene, I. I thought that scene was just absolutely beautiful the way it was filmed. Um, the the slow motion with the one tear coming out of his yeah. eye as he's held in midair that was yeah, yeah it was the, breathtaking. The visuals of it were great, but it it really made it seem like his soul was getting a Brazilian wax. It was not pleasant, <laughs> not pleasant at all. Why? And you you notice that there was white strands as well as black coming out of him when they pulled mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, he wasn't right. fully corrupt. I mean, not a, it's not is it is it the black just the corruption or is it just the male part of it? There's a little bit of, you know, I I don't know. I don't know what mm-hmm. what exactly that means. Is it is he, you know, somewhat in touch with his feminine side? You know, I don't oh. know. That's an interesting take as well. I really like is is gender as fluid as it could be, you know, uh, is if if the magic is gender based. Or is it not everything was completely corrupted? You know, like you were saying with the oil slick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can take a fan or something and you just sort of, you know, trouble the waters a little bit and get the oil to separate, but you're still going to get a little bit of oil. Yeah. You know, but you're still going to get some water at that point, too. So, So, yeah. Lots of thoughts about Logan there. Yeah. He was an interesting character. Too bad. <laughs> He's pretty much done. I, I don't think we're done with him at this point. Me neither. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if if he's completely lost the will, you know, he may stick around for a little bit more, but I don't know what you know, he I think like like you said, seeing that seeing the light, so to speak, he's 
probably got some insight on it. And I think at this point, he's got nothing to lose. He might as well, you know, parlay a little bit with, with the Aes Sedai to sort of get his, you know, get, get his thoughts out and see if there's something that they can, that they can use from it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested. Well, based on what they were saying, I think he's got a lot of followers still. I don't think they all died in that quick battle. So he could be going back to them and who knows what happens there. I'd be interested in seeing what happens if the white cloaks get a hold of him. Mm, definitely. Oh, there's an interesting thought. But would they go after would they go after the, these false dragons or are they just more focused on the Aes Sedai? Well, I know that I know the, the, the questioners are, but he can definitely identify some Sedai. Well, that's true. All right. Well, I think uh, that that gets us through the end of the episode. Um, we've been going on for quite a while on this episode because there was quite a lot to get through. But I, I uh, do want to say just before we stop that that look that uh, Nynaeve gives at the very end, oh. it was almost like a, uh, OK, what do I do now, guys? You <laughs> You know more than I do. To me, that was the look of just kind of absolute shock. She she doesn't even know what she just did and, and is still trying to figure that out. Yeah, it's like a comp. She's in the right place. Yeah, she's, she's with the right people to figure it out. But, ooh, boy, does she have some things to get through. Yeah. Uh, so as I was just saying, uh, we've, we've gotten through a whole lot of show here, and, and we've got a pretty long recording from that. So I think uh, we can call this an episode um so we just want to say uh thank you as always to michael and jen at watch, watch party secret island headquarters uh also huge thanks to jordan Rennells for his work with all the audio engineering um and our sponsor four cats boutique that's uh, jordan's shop so be sure to check them out on etsy um, and if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at watchpartywat. that's watchparty w-o-t at gmail uh, you can just uh, send us any any uh, questions that you have or anything that you want to say to our panel. Uh, send them to us there, and we'll start doing some uh, question segments on the show. Mailbag, mailbag. Mailbag. This has been a Watch Party Podcasting Empire production. Now, the final word from our panel. You just burst out with your first magic burst ever. What did you do? Head explodey. Who's? Who's <laughs> <laughs> ever you exploding? Be, be specific. I have a, I have a list. <laughs> <laughs> Just start working your way down it. Kaboom, 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 kaboom. I finally fixed my Windows installation. <laughs> your magic burst fixes your Windows installation. Well, it's going to take that, apparently. <laughs> Very big party with all my friends at my house. They all just teleport here. Boom. I like it. There's going to be some confused people if they went to bed early. Yes. And I have definitely set something on fire. <laughs> Your secret power is arson. All right. Some things or some ones? <laughs> oh, no, it's things. But if you get trapped in a building, that's on you. Know? <laughs>